1: where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
2: On today's show, we take your questions on a mouthy mother-in-law, post-dated wedding receptions, friends who avoid heavy subjects, and being perceived as pretentious.
1: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your question of the week is about an overseas wedding and asking if certain guests can be invited.
2: Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on emotional maturity.
1: All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And
2: I'm Dan Post-Senning.
1: Cuz, you wrote in our intro topic, summer!
2: (laughs) I know, it feels like it arrived. It arrived in an afternoon, and I just love it.
1: You do know that it's still May and summer doesn't start till the end of June, right? (laughs) Shh,
2: don't tell me these things.
1: No, I've been having a, a similar kind of, like, I almost want to call it seasonal affected disorder, but it's affected because it's like, it does feel like summer. We've had a very dry spring here in Vermont, and just, it it is that strange feeling of, wait, but it's like going to reach 80 degrees this week. Wait, but it's not even June yet. But wait, I've been inside so long. It's just nice to be out. It's almost... I don't care about weather patterns. I'm just like, there's sunshine and
0: grass.
2: (laughs) It it popped. The summer popped. I was driving down the road and I was looking out at the the fields at this farm near our house and they were so green. It was all that new grass, (laughs) but it was so thick and it all come in. And there was this vibrant, bright, like sort of light green color. And then the buds on the trees were coming out and I felt good. It felt good to feel good. (laughs)
1: Totally. No, it it does. It does feel good to feel good. And we know that that sunshine and getting outdoors helps us to feel good. (laughs) Okay, so can
2: I give you the flip side of the coin?
1: (laughs) Sure. uh, I think so.
2: (laughs) Now I sit at my computer and I look out the window and the sun is shining and (laughs) the kids are playing and the bees are gathering pollen. And yes, no. And I just want to go be part of summer. (laughs)
1: I feel you. I do feel you as I as I sit trying to get massive chunks of writing done right now in between media interviews and and hopefully scheduling some business for us. It's uh it's definitely torture. <laughs> it's like there's the part of you that so badly is, is wanting to work and grateful to be working. And then there's the other part of you that is, you know, it has felt cooped up and it wants to get out, especially in an effort to try to kind of find spaces that are going to be uh, have limited people and limited exposure it means that you have to kind of go a little further out to get out, you know. Uh, so it's it's calling my name, too. It's calling my name, too. And they did open up golf in Vermont. And I actually have my first scheduled tea time this weekend. Not at the club this year, but I am am looking at some of our public courses and and heading out there. So it should be fun to see what that experience is like now.
2: Awesome. I am a little jealous. (laughs) Although you talk about work, and there's this other thing that's going on right now, which is our days are so long. These are my favorite days of the year because the day is so long and it's still getting longer. We haven't hit that summer solstice yet, so... It's great, and it's still getting better. And it, it feels like there's just more hours in the day to do those projects that are calling. There's the the desk work, but then there's also building trails and clearing brush, or just taking a walk later the side in the of evening.
1: A <laughs> That's awesome.
2: <laughs> it's so much fun. What I've noticed happening as a result of this is that Anisha's bedtime is. Sort of crawling later, later. back yeah. later and later into the night. Totally. Yesterday we had finished dinner, and it's usually a time where she would be petitioning to watch some PBS programming on the iPad. Yeah. And instead, she's asking if we can go outside.
1: Like, can we go for a walk? Can we go look at it? I don't know. Fireflies probably aren't out yet, right? That's still probably another couple weeks away.
2: Not quite. Nope. Yeah. But there's the new trail, and there's the chalk, and there's the new scooter. Oh my goodness, it goes by itself. She glides.
1: <laughs> Didn't you guys do s'mores by the fire the other night?
2: S'mores by the fire, or just walk to the pond. The tadpoles have all hatched. The salamanders are everywhere. It's it's all world of opportunity. She just wants to get out in it, and I frankly want to go with her. And <laughs> what do we really have to wake up for? We set our own schedules now, right?
1: No, we have work, cousin. We have work, cousin. (laughs) I love you and your dreamy family, but we have to do something to provide for
2: them. (laughs) Oh, that's right.
1: I wonder if if people are going to start having like, the work camera, like Big Brother, that watches you to make sure you're really working from home. <laughs> like, will your Slack channel all of a sudden just open up and have, like, video check-in anytime? time? <laughs> no. It, it is true. It makes it a lot harder to get the work done, but it also pushes you to get stuff done so that you can get out and enjoy things and, and try to connect with people and stuff.
2: But You just made me sit up a little straighter in my chair. I said, yeah, that's right. Just... Get it done and then get outside. <laughs>
1: well, when it comes to trying to get that work done, you sent me an email because you know that I've been struggling trying to write under these conditions. It's, you know, I mean, <laughs> the entire behavioral structure we're used to is changing, and this book comes out two years from now. Wow, <laughs> that's a mental trip for me for sure as I try to sit down and stare at a blank page. But you had, had kindly sent me a link to an interview with um, with Aaron Sorkin about his procrastination when writing and all the thoughts his brain goes through. And boy, did I ever feel better after listening to that. It was like, oh, OK, yeah. And I am pleased to say the, the uh, 20th edition has found its voice and now I can sit down and be writing in it. But boy, it's a struggle sometimes.
2: Virtual high fives. And all you creative types, I think, wrestle with very similar struggles. And it's funny. It's not even like it's something negative. It's just the absence of anything. Mm -hmm. And it can be really difficult. And I know that we're all struggling with um, uh, sort of a, a, a lack of material, a lack of grist for the mill in terms of that human interaction when we're thinking about relationships and how relationships work.
1: I was going to say, we're even seeing that here in our podcast. You guys got to write into us with your etiquette questions. <laughs> Bridget had to do some digging to really get in and find uh, find some questions for this week. And uh, we even have one wedding question that's really, truly a pre-COVID question. But we definitely still want to hear from you and we still want to hear about the etiquette conundrums you're facing or even the ones that you're imagining facing or that you missed facing. Um, So please, please get creative and send us your questions. We are dying to hear them. We are so excited that the show is almost at episode number 300. Help us get there. Remember, we always say it, there's no show without you, and we really mean it. So send us your questions. And Dan, what do you think? Is it time for us to
2: get to some questions?
1: I think we should.
2: (laughs) Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or a text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at Emily post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
1: Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, storywort dot slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, The Mouthy Mother-in-Law, and this voicemail uh, comes from Katie.
0: Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've been a longtime listener and absolutely love Awesome Etiquette. Thank you for hosting this great show. I'm calling to get your advice on dealing with my mother-in-law. My biggest issue with her is when she directs negative comments at me in social settings, which leave me dumbfounded, speechless, and hurt. For context, this has occurred on and off for the last seven years since I've known her and usually happens when she's had too much to drink. In addition, I'm not always the target. Sometimes she'll direct negativity towards my brother-in-law or someone else. Two examples. She was drunk at a wedding we were at in October and called me the B-word in front of my husband and a few other people with a smile on her face. So I laughed it off in the moment uh, because I was in shock. I was hurt by her comment. Just a couple of months before, she'd given a beautiful toast at my wedding and said lovely things about me. I did end up calling her a few days after this incident at the wedding and gently explaining what she'd said, acknowledging that she might not remember saying it, she didn't, and that I don't think of myself as a B-word. She apologized. The second instance occurred at Christmas a couple of months later when she called me and another guest, skinny B-words, in the context of how neither me or this other guest seemed to put on weight. She had been drinking when this happened. I never addressed the second occurrence with her because it was unexpected and I thought I could let it go. Well, it's been five months and clearly I'm still thinking about it. I'm working on forgiving her uh, with a therapist, but I'm still not sure how to deal with her moving forward. My husband hasn't been much help since he's a peacekeeper in his family and doesn't like conflict or feeling like he's in the middle of something. I would never try to pit him against his mother, but how I wish he could say something to her about how inappropriate this behavior is. If my mother-in-law was anyone else, I'd face her out of my life, but that tactic only goes so far with family. We see her once every couple of months, but my husband uh, wishes it was more often. I get sick to my stomach whenever a visit is approaching because I'm not sure which of her antics I'll have to deal with. From an etiquette perspective, how do I handle her moving forward? All the best. Bye.
1: Boy, Dan, this sounds like a tough one. It sounds like someone's not always aware that this is how they're behaving that the particular thing that makes them not aware the drinking is a touchy subject for a lot of people and then the things the person is saying are actually hurtful things what well, i mean there's a lot of a, a lot of balance that it's going to take for this one isn't there
2: yeah there's a lot going on here and there's a lot going on that's wrong and
1: <laughs> yeah, no, good way. Good good way to put it.
2: But <laughs> when I read a question like this, I just find myself wanting to to say that first, to just say I'm sorry this is happening to you. This is really yeah. wrong. There's no excuse for this, even though I'm seeing an awareness of why it might be happening, that 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 doesn't mean it's okay. That doesn't mean that it doesn't impact our question asker in a way that's really serious and impactful. So, and it
1: might mean also that it might not stop.
2: Yeah, and and you're you're anticipating where I'm kind of going with that. Some things are so bad that it's not necessarily something you're going to be able to address, or maybe the 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 thing that you're dealing with, that particular behavior, the inappropriate language, calling you names, is. Uh, symptom of a larger problem and your ability to separate those two things and say to yourself, well, I'm dealing with this aspect of it, but there's really no way for me to just deal with that. It's connected to something that's really bigger than what I'm going to be able to address. And that's a really hard thing to come to when it's someone who's so close to you. And it's something that is so hurtful. But it's it's the the ground that we're operating on. That's the playing field that we're playing on here.
1: Totally. And here we've even got a son who would like to see his mother more and a wife who would like to support that but there is this uncomfortable matter. I think that You've sort of done the thing we recommend, which is to call someone a couple days later, be respectful of the fact that they might not be aware that they said these things, leave room for them to react, and and even got an apology out of it. She apologized, you say, but then the instance happens again, and now we're not just tying an unpleasant word to it, we're tying weight into it, which is something that we all know Uh, we need to be sensitive about that other people are sensitive about, and that in general, it's not polite to comment on people's ability or inability to gain or lose weight in any way. You just kind of try not to comment on people's physical structure. And I think that that's really, you know, it's sort of like now I feel like we've compounded it. It's an insult plus than a sensitive topic. And I still think you're, you're in the same zone of Wash, rinse, repeat, do that same kind of follow up phone call and says, you know, say the things that you say, boy, you know, I, this sort of happened again. And uh, I, I wanted to let you know, because this time it was also tied to to my weight, which it did make me very uncomfortable to feel like this was coming at me in front of other people. I, I don't know how to handle that situation between the two of us. I think you're trying to praise me, but it at the same time, doesn't feel like praise. A lot of times people say, oh, you're so lucky, you're so skinny, or oh, so and so so skinny. We, tell, we say this stuff to Dan all the time. He's the one in the family who, you know, and and Dan has his own feelings about his weight, <laughs> like, you know, and I think it's really easy to look at someone and think, oh, it must be easy for them. I can comment on this. And you really shouldn't. It really, it doesn't matter whether they're in the category of something you would envy. You really shouldn't be commenting on people's weight.
2: It sounds like you're doing a lot of that work, like you're really trying to acknowledge the totality of this person, that there are other instances that you can remember where it mattered and she hit her marks. She gave the toast well. She she's able to to to, to perform, to do some of those things that give you some hope that there's a real relationship here and that there's a relationship worth salvaging. And I think that's also really admirable work on your part. It's very easy to get wrapped up in or lost in the hurt, the slight, the bad behavior and forget that, no, those were instances and that there's a, a a whole picture here that needs to be taken into account. The unfortunate part of the answer for you is that there is a lot of responsibility on you here, that it is almost impossible to fix someone else. So the challenge that you're then presented with is – how do I maintain myself in a way that's healthy and good? How do I operate from a place where I feel good about the choices I make and the decisions I'm making? And ultimately, that is the place that that you can feel most comfortable dealing with whatever you're dealing with. Whether these are isolated incidences, and you're never going to experience this again, and it will really be just up to you to let it go and let it be part of your past as something that she's corrected, or whether it's something that just occasionally rears its ugly head, or whether it becomes a persistent part of your relationship with your mother-in-law, you will be in good shape and feel good about where you're coming from, and how you treat her, how you treat your husband in the process. And that's why we're working hard to equip you with, think about the totality of the situation, think about the most minimal version of the the hurt that could be coming from this if you accounted for her intentions being not terrible.
1: I think also sometimes time is what it takes. And over time learning that the way to bond with my new daughter-in-law is not by saying things like, oh my gosh, you're such a... And then the word that keeps following, you know, or that th- this isn't like... You guys might not have a drinks with the girls kind of relationship. She might start to then adjust her behavior. You know, it's like sometimes you, you come into a new relationship kind of being all that you are and and think that the way I talk with these people is the way I can talk with these people. And it's not always the case. You hear us kind of really trying to give benefit of the doubt here and not go to the place of, oh, she's using manipulative behavior or she's trying to undercut you with a smile on her face so that you can't say anything about it. People like that exist. Situations like that exist. It's a lot better if we can, before we know that that's exactly what's happening, it's a lot better if we can lean on the benefit of the doubt and graciousness as a place that someone would come from instead. Not to Pollyanna it for ourselves, but because it is, it's is—it's a courteous thing to do, is to to leave people room while there's still room. If the mother-in-law closed that gap and really said, no, I really am mad that you married my son and I don't do that, like, then you know where you're at with it. But I think kind of until you know for certain, and like we said, you're already giving her benefit of the doubt with looking back to other times where she's treated you well, recognizing that this seems to happen only under certain circumstances. Doesn't mean you can't address them or deal with them, but it's, it's kind of the difference between jumping straight to the this person is being malicious.
2: Katie, thank you for this question. you got to start it off with a tough one. We hope that our answer helps and that you enjoy a better relationship with your in-laws moving forward.
3: But on another potential source of trouble, in-laws, I thought of all those mother-in-law jokes. Still, they
1: couldn't apply to nice people like us. This question is titled, Rescheduled Reception.
2: Good evening. I hope you're doing well, staying healthy and safe. I really appreciate your section on weddings during COVID. Unfortunately, our question was not covered. We postponed our reception, but we are still getting married in front of our immediate family. Our plan is to have the reception on our one-year anniversary. We pushed it out in hopes that this pandemic will be over by then. Because we are getting married on our original date, should we send out an announcement to our guests that we are married and reinforcing the reception being held next year? Thank you for any insight you may be able to provide. Very truly yours, Liberty.
1: Liberty, thanks so much for writing in. Um, I, yes, I think that because your plans have changed, I, I think, um, because you're postponing, yeah, you're saying that you're postponing your reception. You definitely want to communicate that to guests before you send out an announcement that you've gotten married. Um, so you want to let guests know, we've had a change in plans. We're postponing our reception until the date that you've chosen, Your, your what will be your anniversary. We are going to get married as a small, you know, family unit uh, during this time because we were really excited and looking forward to these plans and we look forward to celebrating with you once we're all able to travel and gather again but that would be the way you would go you would not want to send out an announcement to guests who might still be wondering whether you're having that wedding or not wondering whether they're on the guest list I think the announcement itself just like kind of all wedding announcements can go far and wide Um, that's not restricted to just your guest list. But I think what you need to make sure to do is for that guest list, make sure that before any announcement goes out that you've cleared your new game plan with them. Not by getting them to check in with you about it, but by just letting them know, We're doing the actual ceremony with just the family, and we're going to do everyone who was originally invited to the wedding are still invited to a postponed reception next year. Just to kind of keep everything clean, keep the order and the process right, not kind of jump the gun or confuse anybody.
2: No, I like that very practical answer that, no, you would need to tell people about the new schedule before you could announce that you're married. I also like the specificity of language around what an announcement is, what an invitation, what a communication changing information about an invitation (laughs) that's been accepted.
1: They're all different. They
2: are. (laughs) And I know this is something that everybody's dealing with right now. We're seeing a lot of these weddings that are broken up over time in terms of when you can do the ceremony and how and when you celebrate. So everyone's muddling through it right now.
1: But to be honest, <laughs> this is really familiar territory for us because for a long time now, couples have done belated receptions. Belated receptions sometimes don't come with the requirement of a gift. Although most people, we we find very few people who decide to lean into that rule in that space. Everyone who ends up going to a belated reception usually gives a wedding gift but this is really familiar territory for us and so it it isn't found in kind of our cha- you know changing times uh advice because even though the part where you had to postpone the wedding you had originally planned does fall under that covid change and that kind of new covid wedding advice the second half of it doesn't so much it's it's really common to have that small ceremony with the people who are right here right now and then the bigger belated reception planned on later Mostly, Liberty, we are excited that you're moving forward, that you're going to get to celebrate your marriage with the people that you're very closest to, and that you are then going to be able to party large once, once everything is safe.
3: Well, I think that love, a real material love, is more than I'd imagine. I guess so
1: spring is springing and it's definitely a time for celebration graduations engagements and yes even some weddings during the pandemic for all occasions emily post greeting cards are the best way to let friends and family know that you care we are so thrilled to let you know that now through memorial day Issa Salazar, our awesome card maker, is offering a 10% discount on greeting cards, which includes the Emily Post Garden Collection. Not only is there a 10% discount, but if you order $30 or more, and why not stock up, you'll receive free shipping in the domestic U.S. Just go to isasalazar.com and use the promo code MAYFLOWERS. That's Isasalazar.com and use the promo code MAYFLOWERS at checkout.
2: Our next question is about a flawed friendship.
1: It begins, Hi Lizzie and Dan, I lost an old friend. Feeling quite blue when I found out the news, I sent a message to a current friend of eight years stating that I was feeling quite blue and inquiring if he would take the time to hang out today. He replied quickly, saying yes and asking the reason for my sore mood. I replied immediately, letting him know that I had just lost an old friend to suicide. I checked back a few minutes later to make sure I hadn't missed the reply, while in the text exchange, I saw him come in, begin typing for about 30 seconds, and then exit the chat without actually sending whatever he was typing. Four hours later, he still hadn't replied. This person will say that he's there for me always and that we're best friends. But this is not the first time I've been ignored when asking for company or someone to listen after a bad event. In fact, last year, when he asked why I was down at a party, he seemed immediately uncomfortable that I responded with the truth and tried to fill the silence with unrelated shouting to someone across the room, followed by effectively avoiding me for the entire night. Parts of me are identifying with anger and frustration at the rude disregard. Even though I have not been caring for his mental health in order to receive reciprocal efforts, I can't help but feel taken advantage of. Do I express this or just stay silent and retract myself from the relationship as time goes on? I'd possibly like to say, hey... I want to say that parts of me find the lack of response to be quite disrespectful. I would expect communication, even if it didn't come, that you could be here for me at this time. Thank you for your
2: time, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for your question. This is a tricky one. In in some ways, I'm I, there's a, a small etiquette issue here that I think speaks to some bigger issues in the friendship. In some ways, it's a little similar to our first question in that regard the point about the reply to the text is where we sort of have our etiquette foundation for this question, the basis of it. And I I instantly in my head, I always do that little game of trying to think about the best possible explanation for what's going on. And I know it's certainly been true that I have started typing replies, been not sure if I was exactly confident in what I was saying and then never sent it. And I think it's entirely possible you caught this person in a moment and when they realized something really serious was going on, they were trying to figure out what to say and for whatever reason, whether they decided not to or they forgot to or didn't and just didn't get back to it, they couldn't do it. And that is something where I think you say to yourself, I'm going to take that one episode and I'm going to imagine all the best and I'm not going to try to project too much onto the whole friendship because of this. And that's a lot of work for you to do. And there is a rudeness here. You've been ignored and you've been ignored after sharing something that was painful and difficult. And, and that's, that that's, that's requiring a lot of you. If you're going to work to salvage this friendship, if you're not going to assume the best of someone else, then I do think you're in that place where you say to yourself, maybe this is the nature of this friendship. And I wouldn't say, that that involves an active process of minimizing contact until you reduce them in your life. But maybe they're a friend that falls into a certain friend category and they're not the kind of person you can turn to when something's really going on that you need help with.
1: And you can determine whether or not that carries over to I'm not – going to be there as much for this person when when they ask me to be, or whether you say, I'm still going to be there for this person because I really would have wanted them to be there for me. I'm just going to accept that they're not very good at this coming the other way, right? So we can choose... Your friendship doesn't have to have perfect balance. It doesn't have to have equal balance in things. I have a friend who's a terrible cook. I'm definitely not going to be expecting that she hosts a lot of dinners with homemade meals. You know, She's probably going to be ordering takeout for us or we meet out or I offer to bring something over. Um, And so we find balance in other uh, ways in our friendships this way. And difficult times are a time where we kind of Suss out who is going to be a friend we can lean on and who is not. Some people really don't deal well with death and grieving and hard times. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to offer help. They may feel stressed or triggered by the particular thing that's going on. In this case, it's suicide, and and we don't know this person's personal experience with it, um, either themselves or their family or friends, and. It can sometimes cause us to want to say something. So we start typing, but then we stop because we get confused. Um, we're uncertain. Something comes up in the moment. I mean, there are there are so many things that can happen in here. It's often the awkwardness that they feel in that moment that becomes the the biggest hurdle to getting over it and getting the person, you know, to, to have the positive exchange, that friendly, good exchange that you're looking for. Um, if I was going to talk to a friend about this, I might check in uh, with some different language. I might say something instead like, hey, I just wanted to check in. Today really is a day where I could use some uh, a, a friend. If that can't be you today, I completely understand. But let me know so that I can go make plans with someone else so that I can get the help and friendship I need today. And that even sounds a little bit much, but I think that like... Tone it down, play with it, make it your own words, obviously, something we always suggest on the show. But getting to that place, rather than of saying, I don't think it's right for you to have done what you did, which is very accusatory, I would instead try to say, what do you need? Well, I I need help today. I need comfort today. And if I can't find it here, I'm going to try elsewhere. Later on, as friends, I might broach the subject that you've noticed that this friend tends to avoid you when you are grieving or experiencing bad days, tough days, and you as friends can then discuss that. You might give your friend the space to say, it does really make me uncomfortable. I'm not good at this, but how do you tell a friend that when they need you? And so instead, I just ghost or run away, and I know that that's not right, but... You might end up with with some good revelation coming up. You might also not. Someone might say, I think you're being ridiculous or "Uh, sorry, I find I'm not good with people in these circumstances. So, yeah, I'm the person who's going to back away when you're having a bad day. Um, It's, you know, people know themselves. They don't know themselves. I don't know what the reaction you're going to get is. But I think that having noticed a trend with this friend, it would be okay to address it.
2: Before we leave this question entirely, I want to pass on some advice that I originally heard from a relationship advice podcast hosted by Dan Savage, the Savage Love podcast. And just a little uh, parental warning, that is a very um, adult-level podcast if you want to go check it out. Dan Savage sometimes talks about uh, social capital in relationships, And that you Mm -hmm. invest in relationships by paying in with social capital, by participating well. And that there are moments in a relationship where you get to draw on that social capital, where you get to ask for something back out of that relationship. And that part of intelligently participating in relationships is having an idea of how much social capital you've got in your accounts with people, how much time you've invested in relationships that you can draw on. And that's going to be different with different people. It's not that it's a one-to-one, 50-50. Every penny I turn in, I get a penny out. There is interest that accrues. There are unexpected withdrawals. There are all kinds of things that affect that balance in a relationship. But keeping some awareness of it is part of participating in relationships well. And one option to build a relationship is to think about how you invest, how you put that social capital in. And then to pay attention to your withdrawals. And I think the positive advice that we can give on our way out the door is the more you think about investing in those friendships, being there when you can to be supportive and participating in the good times when they're there to be had will set you up well to have the kind of friendships you can lean on when things get tough. Anonymous, we hope that this helps and that your flawed friendship is a little less flawed moving forward. If you have any problems like those you've just seen, talk them over. Get them settled. Because the only way to have a friend is to be one. And friendship is one of the most precious things in life.
1: Our next question is titled, Perceived as Pretentious.
2: Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener and really appreciate your show. My question comes from a sad circumstance that has to do with my family. I'm very close to my extended family. We are all from lower to middle class households, and we have all grown up around each other. However, I made very different choices than my family members tend to make. I focused on getting good grades and completing a four year university, the first in my family to do so. I give all credit to God and Him saving me at the young age of 11. He made me want to make better choices. Fast forward many years. My husband and I have successful careers, run a beautiful household, and can provide our daughters with great daycares and educational trips. I know I shouldn't feel guilty about this, but I do. My family, especially my cousins and my brother, have called me the golden child, the favorite, the rich one, and stuck up. I even heard an uncle gossiping about me, saying I use big words and try to seem smarter than everyone else. It makes me want to cry. I've never purposefully flaunted my wealth or education. I don't know what to do about this. I would love to ignore them and write them off as just jealous, but these are family members. I don't want to write them off. I love them. How do I handle this with grace? Thank you for your time. Sincerely, A.
1: Hey, this is a tough one. This is your family. This is you having uh, done good things for yourself. And it's kind of coming back in a really uncomfortable way. And that, I I just, Dan and I, from the very get-go, want to encourage you to keep being you. Because clearly that's gotten you far into good places in your life. And then hopefully we can find a way to, to help you work on your relationship with your family. Because what they're doing is rude and they may not realize that so much it might be coming i mean there are a lot of different places this could be coming from right i mean they could be envious of you they could be proud of you and have a you know bizarre you know like the 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 brothers who knock each other to the ground as like a form of love it could be like that you know where it's like oh you golden child you know when they start calling you stuck up, that's where I start to think, well, maybe we're not in this living category. Maybe there is some envy, some um, I didn't do things I could have done, or I don't know how that person in our family managed to make all this happen for themselves and I didn't. Um, and so you, you could be getting into some territory like that. But without talking to anybody about it. And without having people go through a decent amount of, I think, therapy, you you don't really always get to know why someone's choosing to talk to you like this. And I think that's when we tend to advocate for having the conversation and letting someone know how you feel, that for whatever reason that they're choosing to say these things to you, the impact it's having on you is negative.
2: Because you did start this question talking about how important your family is to you, how much you love them, and how connected you feel to them, I think it's worth thinking about how you can address this directly. And the difficult conversation tips that Lizzie and I use pretty regularly on the show are all going to apply. You're going to want to look for your moments of opportunity. You're going to want those moments to be when everybody's feeling pretty good, when a hurt or a slight doesn't feel too fresh. You want to be sure that you don't do it in front of anybody. It has to be at a time when they can hear you process the embarrassment that they might feel at being called out or at discovering that what they were doing was impacting someone in a way they hadn't intended. Um, you can always ask permission to have that conversation. That's a good way to prime someone for it. You say, oh, there's something I was hoping to talk to you about. Do you have a second? Yeah, sure. What? what are you, what's on your mind? Now you've got permission to say almost anything, and they're also ready to hear it. They've told you that this is an okay time. What do you then say? You just let someone know what you've heard and how it made you feel. My mother used to call them when you I feel statements, and you're not telling someone else that what they're doing is a certain way. You're not saying it's good or it's bad or you're not imputing their motives or their intentions, but you're telling them when this happened, this is how it impacted me. And that's giving them enough information to make good choices about whether they're going to do it again, whether they're going to adjust their behavior or not. And that's the, the direct path to addressing the particular issue That you're experiencing with them and giving them the best chance to address it themselves and make it better.
1: I think, too, there are moments where this kind of stuff happening. I mean, I I think about regular family conversations and the things that we lay out often sound very structured, very formalized. But there there are moments where this happens quickly. And it's you're making sandwiches at the counter in the kitchen together. And you say, you know, on Kelly, I really want to talk to you about something because I'm having a little bit of trouble when I come to family gatherings. I'm noticing people are starting to rag on me a bit for having gone to college, for the kids being able to go to Disney World last year. And it's making me really uncomfortable. I'm, I'm wondering if you can help me minimize those comments or at least help me spread the word that they're, they're actually kind of hurtful. I can see things like that happening. I can also see in a moment where you are around the table – And someone, let's say someone asks you about that trip last year and you say, oh my gosh, we had such a good time. And someone makes a comment under their breath. That's one of those moments where you have the choice to either ignore it and let it stand out there as an uncomfortable comment that came when someone else was trying to highlight the the good of the fortune that you've created for yourself. So there are times to let it go in that moment, I think, because it stands on its own as ugly but I think that you can also have moments where it's more jovial and everyone's kind of joking around and saying something, or maybe even just when you walk in the door, the golden child is here. And then that's when I might do something like look at my arms and wrists and say, gold, am I made of gold? I don't see this anywhere. You know, Pointing out that someone probably teased in the wrong direction or, you know, just making mention of like, why are we calling me the golden child? You know, there are, I think, some tactics for addressing the insults in the moment. But pick and choose when you decide to lean into them and when you decide to
2: to let them go. Humor is a powerful tool when the dosage is right. And it's hard to prescribe it because the moments are so fleeting and you can very quickly devolve into the, we're just teasing each other, but we're saying really mean, hurtful things and it's going back and forth and it's not funny. (laughs) So it it is a question of dosage, but never underestimate the power of that smile on your face, the good humor in your voice when you say something to allow it to be heard. There's another tack you can take that's not the direct approach with your family, but is more about moderating your own behavior. And I want to use a term that the younger folks in our audience will be familiar with, and maybe some of the older folks won't, which is code switching. And that's the idea that as you move from one social construct to another, you sometimes have to modify your behavior a little bit to fit Social in.
1: code. <laughs>
2: and it's a powerful concept. It's a powerful idea. It, it fits very nicely into the framework that we use on this show when we talk about etiquette being a combination of manners and principles. That The principles are always going to be with you. You're considerate, you're respectful, you're honest. But your manners are going to look a little different in one situation or another situation. How you show that respect is going to look a little different in one household and another. And it might be true that with your family, you're going to start to execute a little bit of a code switch where you're not going to talk as much about the details of that trip to Disney World. Or you might say, I'm just not going to talk about things that are money related or that are about experiences I've had in college. And it's not because I'm hiding those things. It's just because in this environment, it makes it easier to navigate socially. And that code switching can happen in very subtle ways. It can also be something that's a more concrete decision that you make in your mind. But it's a powerful tool and it's part of, adapting and being flexible socially in a way that allows you to operate in a lot of different environments.
1: A, we hope that that helps and that hopefully a little bit of of trial and error and parsing out different situations will help you start to navigate these family functions with the grace that you're looking for, but also the respect that you deserve.
2: You know, so many people are asking how the Millers manage to have so much fun as a family.
3: What's the answer? Is it money, or is it magic? Neither. It's something they worked out together
2: when they woke up to the fact that they wanted their family life to be fun.
1: Who doesn't? For your questions, please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at EmilyPostInst. On Instagram, we are at EmilyPostInstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show.
2: If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll find an ads-free version of the show and access to a bonus question each week. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. Again, that's patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And we want to thank everyone who's already become a sustaining member. We really appreciate your support.
1: It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Ray about the bonus question from episode 296 entitled Wiping the Wine Glass. Hello! In listening to the bonus question for episode 296, I was reminded of something I was taught long ago. When I take a drink from a glass, I rest the rim of the glass on the inside of my bottom lip. I don't press my bottom lip tightly against the glass. By resting it just slightly inside my bottom lip, I transfer the least amount of lipstick to the glass. Full disclosure, I don't always remember to do this, especially if I'm in the middle of a fun conversation, but in a more formal setting, it helps not only to keep my lipstick off the glass, but also to keep more of my lipstick where I want it, on my lips. Thanks for adding both fun and information
2: to my week. Thank you so much for this feedback. I feel so vindicated. I was talking about all of the details and the specifics of how lips touch glasses. And Lizzie Bose was laughing at me because I spent so mm-hmm. much time with one and three year olds and think about these mm-hmm. mechanical things <laughs> that are so easy no, I to was... take for granted.
1: I was laughing because it was like, "Welcome to my world, D." <laughs> when you have, when you choose to be a part of the painted face clan, and put on lipstick and do things like that, when you get dressed up and you know are on camera and stuff, or you're at a party or something, you wonder where is my lipstick ending up? <laughs> we actually we used to talk about this all the time from a. Um, on my nicest dishware or my nicest linens. And I always loved our great-great-grandmother's advice of, if you don't want lipstick getting on it, don't put it out for people to use. It's a thing. It's a thing.
2: (laughs) It is a thing. Uh, Thank you for the feedback. Thank you for getting down in the weeds with us. We really appreciate it.
1: And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please, please, please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com Or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
2: It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week we're going to talk about emotional maturity.
1: And this question actually came as an email request. So we figured we we would read our listener's email and then dive right in. Hi Dan and Lizzie. Since becoming a Patreon sustaining member, I have been enjoying catching up on the bonus questions. Now that I've been a regular listener for a few months, I have a more abstract question about the role of etiquette. Perhaps this would be better suited for a Postscript topic once your lovely (laughs) I know, right? Once your lovely series on top search posts is complete, thank you for submitting. We are always glad for topics. Here is what I've been thinking about as I listen to the show. What is the relationship between etiquette and emotional or interpersonal maturity? I tend to think of etiquette as the behavior and emotional maturity as something centered in the inner self. But so much of this podcast reveals the interplay between the two. Lizzie references drawing on skills she's gained through therapy that help her in social situations. Emily's values on honesty requires one to have clear boundaries with other people. Having emotional balance makes it easier to react politely. The list just goes on and on. We live in a time where people speak openly about going to counseling, workplaces, host diversity awareness seminars, and the self-help section of the bookstore is overflowing. As the people who literally wrote the book on etiquette, how do you see its role in this context? does etiquette stem from maturity or is it achievable by everybody? I want to note that this question does not come from a place of judgment, as I have spent many years in therapy and still struggle with certain issues. This is just a deeper theme that your podcast makes me reflect on, and I wanted to hear your opinions. Many thanks in advance. Anonymous.
2: Anonymous, thank you so much for your thoughtful letter and for introducing a postscript topic that is something that is a subtext conversation on this show almost all the time. It's something that Lizzie and I talk about between ourselves. When we answer questions, we say to ourselves, how much is this rooted in etiquette behavior? And how much of this is managing emotions in relationships? And oftentimes the answer that we find ourselves sort of taking turns, giving each other is that it's both. And, I love that that's the evolution you went through as you listened to the show. To me, that is such an affirmation of the work that that we do here and the kind of conversation that Awesome Etiquette provides between a large and growing audience and people that think about this stuff all the time. And I want to ultimately drive to answering your question about whether or not etiquette stems from maturity or is achievable by everyone. But I really think it's worth investigating this question of how emotional maturity and behavior are related. Because one is an inner psychological state and the other is the actions and behaviors that we exhibit when we're with each other. And those two things do really impact and influence each other. And I think it's a two-way street. I don't think it's a a one-directional flow of information, Oh, out of emotional maturity, emerge perfect manners, or, oh, if you just do these particular things, if you hit these social cues and observe the dictates in a 700-page Emily Post book that you will somehow achieve emotional maturity. I think either of those thoughts is is potentially naive, and it's a, a rich and complicated relationship between the two.
1: I think you're right, Dan. It's kind of like which, which comes first. <laughs> and I think it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter which you start with. It's funny. This entire conversation had, had actually reminded me of the way people discover that meditation helps them actually respond differently and with more patience in their, in their lives. And it's interesting because it's it, it's not like we sell etiquette meditation tapes, but it has the same kind of effect on people. Um, and especially we hear from all of you listeners that this show has that effect on you, that just taking the space to and the time to think about other situations, listen to how other people might handle things, helps you to grow in your brain the solutions and options and examples of good behavior that you might choose from moving forward and i kind of like how focusing on etiquette just like focusing on clearing your mind can kind of help create a space for good things to be be happening Like Dan just said, whether it stems from maturity first or whether it stems from saying I'm going to start looking at my behavior this way, I think is like, you know, six to one, half a dozen of those. Some of us, it'll be one. Some of us, it'll be the other.
2: All right, cuz. So I'm going to do a little bit of a digression here and I promise I'm going to bring it back around. (laughs) So there's a skill that actors often talk about, and in some ways we're talking about being social actors, the the characters and roles that we play with each other. And some people, when they're building a character, will build it out of gestures and actions and expressions. And other people will start with the story of the character. They'll look for the internal motivation of the character.
1: They'll get into the head. And, and they're both yeah. really
2: valid ways to arrive at a character. You can build them different ways. And I used to work in a type of theater that was really focused on the physical structure of the performance. And we used to say that you mm-hmm. had to you had to build the pipes. You had to lay the plumbing in order for the hot water to flow. That if you just... If you put the structure in place that there was some real work that was involved, and that could be the work of expressing gratitude. You could say to yourself, I'm going to write a thank you note every day for the next year and I'm going to lay the pipes and the hot water is going to flow. I'm going to sit down every morning at my desk. I'm going to write a thank you note to somebody. And lo and behold, two weeks later, those thoughts of gratitude are starting to emerge more naturally in your mind. The words that form those thoughts of gratitude come easier to your pen and – Sure enough, the action has started to engender the feeling. I could also see saying to yourself, I need to think about the things in life that I'm really grateful for. And I need to allow for time in my mind and my heart and space to feel gratitude and that that's the thing that's going to carry me to my writing desk and give the thank you note that I write the sincerity and the significance that is going to make it meaningful for someone. So I I, I think that they can really work to support each other.
1: To add into that, though, it's almost I would counter your second example just a little bit or tweak it a little bit by saying I think in the second one, the emotional maturity for me would be I feel gratitude. I recognize it's good to express it, that it does good things when I express it. Therefore, I'm going to act on it in and then you choose your method of expression. You choose your pipeline that you're going to use for it. And so it's kind of like, you know, almost rather than even identifying the gratitude as something you know you need to do, it's like it it comes from that actual emotional awareness of the fact that I am feeling something that should be expressed. I'm aware of this emotion I have inside me and I would like to communicate it to somebody. One of the questions that Anonymous asked us was, Is emotional maturity necessary? Um, And I was trying to debate that in my head. Is it necessary? And for politeness and for manners and for etiquette and, I think a little bit of that is my answer to that part of it comes from how we talk about children's etiquette in our uh, Children's Train the Trainer program through developmental stages and really thinking about where someone's at on those developmental stages and thinking about etiquette that applies accordingly, right? We don't expect a one-year-old baby to write a handwritten thank you note, but we are all the time priming and working with and establishing um standards and norms with children who don't yet have emotional maturity you know what i mean or they're gaining it in small and different ways but they're not fully capable of having that wait mom's had a long day i need to wait for a moment before i i tell her just how i feel about things you know it's like no i want that cookie now like you know
2: <laughs> although i've definitely seen anisha start to um, calculate her asks. she notices the moods right, and when she might get away with a little something, when to negotiate, when to seed the ground. But
1: here's what's interesting with that. but you've primed her with the pipe work that you so well described earlier to be able to funnel that manipulation, desire, whatever you want to call it into place. So there's an example of kind of laying that pipework early that then gives the place for the emotional intelligence to start to take effect and channel itself into ways that are useful and and do, well, useful. I got my cookie, (laughs) you know. (laughs) But it was kind of, it was an interesting question. I hadn't thought yet. If you didn't have emotional maturity, where does that land you on the ability to be, Polite And to use etiquette as a skill, and it's kind of like it it doesn't eliminate you from being able to access it.
2: So Anonymous asked very specifically, does etiquette stem from maturity or is it achievable by everyone? And we've talked a lot about the relationship between etiquette and emotional maturity, that emotional maturity is a component of good etiquette, that you need that uh, emotional maturity or Lizzie and I would say functional core principles of consideration, respect, and honesty – and that those work in conjunction with manners or behaviors to express good etiquette. To me, there's not an either or. You definitely, there needs to be some element. And as Lizzie says, it's going to be different at different stages of emotional maturity to have good etiquette. But is it achievable by everyone? I feel so strongly that it is. That there isn't a me requirement too. that you're at a certain level level of emotional awareness in order to have good etiquette
1: or that your brain is capable of certain things in order to have good etiquette like it it's funny how etiquette kind of finds a place even where you might not think it could find a place i
2: think that it's part of a growth process i don't think that our adulthoods are static any more than i think that a child going through progressing through social developmental stages is static and i always think there's room For people to become more emotionally mature and for people to have better and better behavior and for those two things to play off each other and inform each other and continue to to challenge each other and grow each other. So I think, yes, there is a component to emotional maturity, to good etiquette, and I don't think that prevents anyone from having access to it. In fact, I think it makes the attainment of it something even more admirable.
1: Anonymous, you also asked us in the world of, of self-help, uh, how do we see a, a book on etiquette and its role in this context? And obviously, we, we look at our book as not a therapy book. <laughs> um, we don't try to claim that it is a mental health tome, but I would say that we look at it as incredibly helpful. We look at it as a a source guide for people to turn to to help understand a lot of the behaviors that are being asked of them or that they are experiencing from other people. We look at it as a way to sort of merge the society with the individual and find balance between the two. And while we don't talk about that in our books in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy, we do talk about it in terms of who are you in the world and how do you impact the people around you and vice versa. How do the people around you in the situations you find yourself in impact you? And so it's there, but it's not there. (laughs) Um, I always used to describe our job as therapy light in a lot of ways, but I think that it is there. I think that in a lot of ways, we've really been grateful for the self-help movement because it keeps people focused on their behavior and on how making changes to that behavior is a possible and be often a good thing. If you're trying to make changes for good reasons, and I think those two things are actually really incredibly connected to the etiquette work that we put out into the world today.
2: I love that you brought up self-help. And I've often said to myself, we would sell better in a self-help category. And it's not really exactly what we are, but it's related. And I think it's that that quest for improvement that's the way I think it it is related. There was a conceit to Emily's original book that good manners were available to everyone. And I think that that has served her very well in her day, and it's served us ever since, this idea that this isn't about a code that keeps people out. This is really about tools that are available to everyone that should make life better. And in that way, it is self-help work. It's so funny. One of our biggest sort of closest peers in the industry is Dale Carnegie. And his original mm-hmm. book is one of the one of the canon uh, titles in the self-help category, how to win friends and influence people. And now the organization that has carried on his work offers trainings and they continue to publish material related to how to win friends, friends and influence people. And I, I actually respect the work they do a lot. I think of them as a peer organization. So that's that's another way that those two sort of fields are connected, just As we pull back the curtain here at Emily Post.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anonymous, thank you so much for giving us some time to explore the ideas behind emotional maturity, um, emotional intelligence, self-help, and where etiquette falls into all of it. Please, please keep your suggestions for PostScript segments coming. We love having discussions like this, and we also love to hear your thoughts and questions about discussions like this. So please remember to send them in to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or submit via your favorite social media app. Just remember to use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you'd like your comment
2: on the show. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear a voicemail from Sophie in North Carolina.
3: Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is Sophie. I was calling to submit a etiquette salute. I usually have a lot of examples, luckily, in my everyday life that I'm able to share with people, but I always think, oh, I'll submit it next week or next week. But today, um, I was listening to the radio. and actually heard Lizzie post on um, 1A on NPR. And as I was listening to this segment, uh, it was about, I think, social distancing and obviously the new world that we're living in. And as I was listening to the segment, I was in a drive-thru line at my local Starbucks. And I was just pulling up to the the window to pay. And the barista nicely told me that my coffee had already been paid for. And it was just such a nice surprise. I really appreciate when people basically try and pay it forward. I typically try and pay it forward myself. Unfortunately, today I was not able to. I'm outdoor dashing and such in this hard time to try and make ends meet. But a point to make sure I do pay it forward when I'm able to maybe next week or in the near future and it was just a really nice surprise and it truly caught me by surprise I was just expecting uh, my usual nice pleasantries and conversation with the barista and then you know have a good day see you later bye but it was really nice to just be like oh my coffee was paid for wow that's a nice surprise for a random weekday Thank you so much for the show, and
1: I'll hear you guys soon. Bye. Sophie, thank you so much for this. I can imagine that one awesome etiquette host in particular (laughs) would do backflips and some combination of ballet moves I cannot pronounce. Uh, upon receiving a free coffee at his local coffee shop that that is very very cool and i love is the little thing you know it is and i love the fact that it's connected to paying forward and it does show how much it can make a chain reaction of good happening out in the world so sophie thank you so much thank you for sharing this wonderful salute
2: and thank you for listening And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers however you share your podcasts.
1: You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a voice message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily
2: Post institute please consider becoming a sustaining member you can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com awesome etiquette you can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on itunes or your favorite podcast app and if you do please consider leaving us a review it really helps with our show ranking which helps new people find awesome etiquette
1: our show is edited by chris albertine and is assistant produced by bridget dowd thanks
2: Thanks, chris Chris and and bridget